the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Our natural tendency is to hold back from professing Him, confessing Him before men out of a fear of being harmed, what people might either say about us, say to us, or do to us. And it's because of this natural tendency to be afraid of those who would persecute us that Jesus specifically addressed this very issue of fear in light of witnessing in Matthew chapter 10. It has been said that most people make their decisions based on fear. That goes for Christ followers as well as those who have never heard of Jesus. The main reason Christians don't share their faith is fear. We might be afraid we won't explain it well enough, or we might be afraid we'll lose a friend or even make that friend an enemy. Fear is a terrible thing, not because it is uncomfortable, but because it shows an absence of love. Perfect love casts out fear. Now that doesn't mean that nothing scares us. (laughs) It means that despite our shaking knees and dry mouth, we proceed with the course of action we know God wants us to follow. We follow His leading because we love and trust Him, even in scary situations. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. I'd like to welcome you to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of lessons from Matthew chapter 10. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. There's a TV show called Monk that has an interesting main character. Adrian Monk is a police detective who has so many phobias that some people call him the defective detective. Yet he manages to solve every case that comes his way. Sometimes he fights through his fears, but usually he finds a way to work around them. His fear is a powerful motivator, but his desire to solve the case is an even greater one. Our fear is a barrier to witnessing, but our love for our Savior should be stronger than our fear of the unknown. In our previous classes, we have been learning that Jesus had some scary news for His disciples. If you have your Bible with you, turn to chapter 10 of Matthew and verse 24. Let's hear what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say about fear. Here is Pastor Steve. The words, no fear, have become a trademark, really a trademark expression for a line of clothing and other accessories associated with surfing and outdoor activities. And though that expression, no fear, may help some surfers face a huge wave without being afraid, the truth of the matter is is that most of us struggle with fears, all kinds of, of fears. If you were to look up On the internet, various fears and phobias, you can go to a place, believe it or not, called phobialist.com, and you would find the listing of about, and I'm not exaggerating, 
530 official phobias. Now, you may wonder, what makes a phobia official? Is there some guy who just comes up with names? No. A phobia becomes official when it has been previously mentioned in either a reference book or some medical paper. You would be amazed at the things that people are afraid of and the formal names given to some of those fears, such as the fear of air sickness is called aeronosophobia, of course. The fear of being alone is called monophobia. There is a fear of anything new, which is called neophobia. Some people have a fear of bicycles, so of course, it's called cyclophobia. Now, why someone would have this fear, I really don't know. It's not just the fear of being tickled, which some people have. It's the fear of being tickled by feathers. There's actually a name for this. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly because there's a P and a T together, so I will take a stab at it. Pteranophobia. Pteranophobia. Now, here's an interesting fear. There's actually a fear of church. None of you have this, obviously, but some people do, and it's called ecclesiophobia. Now, here's one that I absolutely can't comprehend that anyone could have. There is the fear of a mother-in-law. It is beyond me, but there is an actual fear of this called pentaerophobia. Actually, pentherophobia. Pentherophobia. And folks, believe it or not, there is actually a f- an official name for the fear of sermons. Now, how this would come about, I don't know, but it's called homilophobia, and it's taken from the word homiletics, which means preaching. Homilophobia, obviously you don't have that either, okay? Now, this list goes on. You can actually look it up, phobialist.com. It goes on for many, many pages, as I told you, about 530 entries. And believe it or not, I read this whole list this week. You wonder what I do in my spare time. That's, that's what I did. And I have discovered that on this list, there is not one statement about the fear that many Christians have of witnessing and evangelizing. So this guy who's putting this together obviously, obviously hasn't been reading the same literature we've been reading, but there is not one mention of any fear of proclaiming Christ, of evangelizing, of witnessing to someone, and yet we know that that is a very real fear that many Christians have. And why do so many believers have this fear? Because they understand that the Bible teaches that if you boldly proclaim Christ, you will at times experience persecution, rejection, mistreatment, and possibly even death. And therefore, knowing that these are the consequences for boldly proclaiming Christ, our natural tendency is to hold back from professing him, confessing him before men, out of a fear of being harmed, what people might either say about us, say to us, or do to us. And it's because of this natural tendency to be afraid of those who would persecute us that Jesus specifically addressed this very issue of fear in light of witnessing in Matthew chapter 10. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter 10, we've been studying this wonderful chapter for some time now as the Lord is giving instructions to his apostles and then widening it to all of us as his followers about serving him and proclaiming him. And we've come now to a place in which he addresses specifically the issue of fear. Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 24. 
Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, these verses are just the natural follow-up to what Jesus has been talking about to his apostles and his disciples about persecution. As you'll recall from our past studies, we've seen that the Lord has just finished telling his apostles that they can expect persecution to come from some dangerous wolves. We are being thrust out as sheep in the midst of of wolves. And then starting in with verse 17, he begins to name and identify some of these particular wolves that we need to beware of. He speaks in verse 17 of religious people. Verse 17, he says this, but beware of men. He means religious men, religious women, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Beware of them. There are some people who are passionate about their religion. We preach a message that's contrary to religion. We preach the grace of God in Christ and they don't like it. Secondly, he said, beware of persecution that will come from secular governing authorities, not just religious people, it's secular people. Verse 18, he said, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So we're, we're going to appear before ruling government authorities. In verse 21, he spoke about the members of, one old, of one's own household who will turn against us. Brother will betray brother to death and a father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, this doesn't mean that all this happens at all, all the time, but from time to time, this does happen. Maybe not at this point in our country, but around the world, it has happened. And then in verse 22, he talks about the fact that we're going to be persecuted from individuals in general from people from all walks of life, all categories. Verse 22, where he says, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Doesn't mean every person on the planet, but every type of person, every person in every walk of life. Now, in light of all of this hostility to the gospel that Jesus spoke of, the Lord closed this section by telling us that, that in light of this coming, we are not to refrain we are not to shrink back, but we are to continue to speak out for him. In verse 23, he said, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. If they come after you in one place, go to another place and witness. Don't shrink back. Don't shy away from boldly proclaiming me. But in spite of the fact that we can expect persecution to continue, Jesus tells us that we are to continue to speak out boldly for him, regardless of the difficulties that we might encounter. Jesus was predicting scary stuff for his disciples. Now, if you're a Christ follower and you have been sharing your faith, you have almost certainly experienced negative reactions and maybe even ridicule. That's going to get much worse in the future. In fact, it's already far worse than that right now in much of the world. Let's take a quick break to welcome those who just joined us. You are listening to Verse by Verse, 
Our leader in these daily radio Bible classes is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. If you are ever in the area on a Sunday morning and have no other place to worship, Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. In light of the ominous predictions Jesus made concerning those who talk about him, some level of fear is understandable. So how do we deal with our fears about witnessing? Do we just suck it up and forge ahead? Fear is such a common factor in our lives that virtually every conversation God or his angels initiated with humans began by the man or woman being told not to be afraid. Let's get back to our class now for some truths about Jesus that, if we embrace them, will give us victory over fear, especially the fear of sharing our faith. Now, the Lord knew that with all this talk about being flogged in the synagogues and being brought before powerful, intimidating secular rulers, being delivered up by one's own family members, that obviously it would be met with, with fear. Who wouldn't be afraid hearing this? If you knew today that going out these doors, you would be persecuted, that there would be people who had signs picketing our church and there'd be people with guns and knives and, and a violent crowd was there, you'd probably be a little more attentive to the sermon. You would not fear a sermon as some people do. Well, the apostles were told this is going to happen. And obviously they, they were afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid of hearing about these horrors that awaited them? And, and if this fear was not dealt with and overcome, then believers would be paralyzed. We'd all be paralyzed in our witnessing efforts. And then no one would ever hear the gospel. Well, the Lord knew that. He knew that's what they were thinking. And so he proceeded to particularly address these fears, specifically to address these particular Fears, And he tells his men they don't need to be afraid. And he gives us three specific reasons why we don't need to fear. Jesus didn't just say, don't be afraid. That's easy to say. But he went beyond that and gives us specific reasons not to fear man. Notice three times Jesus mentioned do not fear in the verses we read. Verse 26, he said at the beginning, therefore, do not fear them. The beginning of verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Verse 31, he said, so do not fear. So obviously, when you see a phrase like this repeated in a passage, you get the idea that this is the main message. This is the theme. This is the central truth that the Lord is driving home. So we are to not be afraid to what? To confess Christ before men. Actually, you'll see this clearly if you look at verse 32. Therefore, here's his conclusion. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, that's what he's talking about. Don't be afraid of confessing me before men. And he gives three reasons why we need to be sure of not to be afraid, but to fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Now, I want you to know that these truths have the, have the power to absolutely transform all of our lives. Because all of us, if we're honest, would have to say there are times we are too afraid to speak up. There are times we, we care too much about what people think about us. But if you embrace these truths, if you understand them, if you digest them, if you, if you assimilate them into your life and thinking, you will have victory over your fears. All of us need this. 
And it's not necessarily the fear, as we said, of just being physically harmed, although at times that may arise, but most of the time we just shrink back from witnessing because we are afraid of being rejected, especially by people we care about. We're afraid of being laughed at, of ridiculed, of, of being considered as strange or a religious extremist. There's, but there's really, in light of what Jesus said, there is no valid excuse for retreating from witnessing situations out of fear, and Jesus is going to tell us why. Now, this week, we're going to look at one reason why we should not fear those who would persecute us. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the other two reasons. But what we want to do before Jesus ever speaks about any, any specific reasons for, for bold and fearless proclamation, the Lord actually explains why suffering and why persecution is unavoidable for those who follow him. And he does this by making in verse 26, or verse 24 rather, an obvious observation in order to make a very important point about the inevitability of Christian persecution. Notice this, and the Lord lays this as the foundation before giving us any specific reasons. He opens this section by stating in verse 24, a disciple, he said, is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Now, apparently, this was a well-known proverb in Christ's day. And the reason I say that is because as one looks through the New Testament, you will see that Jesus said this several times. He probably said it a lot more times than it's recorded. But it's recorded for us in John 13, 16, John 15, 20, Luke 6, 40, and here. So this was a well-known statement, and the Lord, as, as a good teacher, repeated himself to drive home a point. So what did this expression mean? Disciple is not above his teacher, a slave is not above his master. Well, to begin with, the term disciple is not difficult to understand. It simply means a learner, a student, a pupil. And that's exactly how Jesus is using the word. It's not, he's not changing the meaning. It simply means a learner or a student, a pupil. No disciple, and everybody understood this, and everybody understands this today. There will not be one person here who would think otherwise. No disciple was ever considered above his teacher in the sense of knowledge and wisdom, at least not back in those days. The very concept of discipleship in the ancient world meant that a disciple placed himself under a teacher because he realized that the teacher was much more knowledgeable than he was, and he wanted to learn from that teacher. I said, no one will dispute this. I'm sure there are some students who think they know a lot more than their teacher, but I'm talking about in the ancient world. Because a disciple, uh, a young man who was a disciple, he chose his, his, his teacher. He wasn't assigned the teacher. He chose the teacher because he respected that teacher. He looked up to that teacher. He knew that that teacher knew a lot more than, than he did and that he was beneath him in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, and he wanted to someday attain to that level of knowledge. That's the whole concept of discipleship in the ancient world. The same principle held true for a slave and his master. While a slave certainly didn't have a choice as to who would be his master, like a disciple did, it was understood by all that a slave was never above his master. Nobody would disagree with that. He's never above his master in terms of social and financial standing. He may have been a more noble individual, but he wasn't above his, his master in terms of social and financial status. The very concept of slavery in the ancient world meant that in the social structure of that day, a slave occupied an inferior position under his master. Now, we don't endorse slavery, but that was reality back then. 
And so having pointed out the obvious, and I mean obvious fact, that both a disciple and a slave are beneath the status of their respective superiors, Jesus goes on to speak of the goal that every disciple and slave hope to someday reach. The beginning of verse 25, he says this, It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Now, we're not above, but we're trying to attain to some level of being like our superiors. Now, what did the Lord specifically mean by this? And, what, and really, what does this have to do with, with persecution? When Christ says that it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher, he means that the highest goal that any disciple could ever hope to achieve was to be like his teacher. That's why he learned under a teacher. That's what he longed for. That's why he approached this rabbi or this philosopher and said, I'd like to learn under you. In fact, Jesus said basically the same thing in Luke 640. He said this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone notice this after he has been fully trained, meaning after it's all said and done in his training will be like his teacher. That's that's just a truism. Whoever you learn under, you will be like them. Jesus acknowledged that. And unlike our modern-day educational system in which a disciple-student really tends to just want to go to school to learn, but often just to get a degree and I'm out of there, in Christ's day it wasn't like that. He, As I said, he chose his particular teacher not to earn a degree, but for the purpose of becoming like his teacher. He admired this man. He wanted to be like him. He wanted to have that wisdom, that knowledge. He wanted his character. And likewise, when Jesus speaks of a slave becoming like his master, he means essentially the same thing. Though though a slave, as we said, certainly didn't have a choice as to who he would be a slave to. In fact, he probably didn't want to be a slave at all. The principle holds true that by spending time with his master, eventually he would pick up his master's character traits and would become like him. That's what Jesus is saying. So what was the point that the Lord was making in using this analogy, this example? Listen very closely. Because here's where the Lord is headed with this analogy. What he's saying is that since we are his disciples and we are his slaves, we belong to him. He's telling all of them that they are eventually and we are eventually going to resemble him. Therefore, we can't expect to be treated any better than he's treated. In other words, he wants all of us as his disciples, his servants to understand that since we are in the process of becoming like him in character, and that's what we call progressive sanctification, that's what the Bible calls spiritual growth, becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Since that's happening in our lives, then we can't expect to receive any better treatment than Jesus received. Because why? He said we're not above him. We're not above him. They treated him this way, they'll treat us this way, because we're becoming just like him. That should be the goal of every Christian, to be more like the Savior. According to the book of Acts, the term Christian was first used in the city of Antioch. And according to John MacArthur and many other scholars, the term was originally a term of ridicule. Peter said that if anyone suffers as a Christian, rather than feeling shame, we should glorify God. Now that's easier said than done. 
In our next few lessons, Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more to share from Matthew chapter 10 that I think will give us all some tools to use in facing opposition to our faith and the fear that that opposition can generate. We're glad you could join us again today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve, since 1981, has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries have the pleasure of preparing his expository messages for broadcast on this radio station. If these lessons are a blessing to you, I'm sure the management of this station would be encouraged to hear from you. Today's class was the beginning of a three-part message. To hear the entire message at once, you can order a CD or a cassette. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you would like to listen to this broadcast again, you can find it at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download it or listen online. That goes for the previous messages located on the archives page as well. We also offer a free podcasting service for those who want to make sure that they don't miss any future classes. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. As we have been hearing, Jesus had some pretty ominous predictions for us. In the next verse by verse, as we continue in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus' warnings will become even darker, but then we will start to get to the good part. We will turn the corner and head toward the part where Jesus... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.